It's great to be back with you guys this morning. I was here last, the last week of May, first week of June. Uh, I may look a little different. I don't have a beard. My hair is a little shorter. In fact, I was at a party not too long ago with some of you guys, and I was talking with a group of folks, and somebody said, oh, I knew your voice sounded familiar, which was completely bizarre to me because nobody, I, th I don't ever recall being recognized because of my voice. So I was like, oh, you might remember me. I'm the, uh, the afternoon DJ on 106.9. Uh, uh, that's not the case. Um, have you ever had someone say to you, uh, you've got to come hear my pastor preach? Have you ever had someone say something like that to you, and then, and then you go and you hear them preach and you think, eh. <laughs> and, the, and the reason why your friend was so excited about their pastor preaching is because that pastor, it's, he, he was their pastor. He, he loved and he cared for them. And I know that you guys, I've heard from several of you that have had great preaching over this past year because guest preachers, you know, they bring their A game or, you know, they, they preach that, that one really great sermon. Um, this is my third time here, so lower your expectations. <laughs> um, so, no, but the, the point being, is I, I've, been, I've been praying for you guys a lot over the past uh, month or so um, as the, with this pastor search, because as, as great as the preaching has been, it doesn't compare to that man who is committed to you and your lives um, and who will open the word of God for you every week. So I am thankful, um, as Steve shared with us, that you guys are ending this year-long search and we'll continue to pray for you guys in that. Um, we are going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, if I forget how this works. Does it go up there? No? Okay. So, and I didn't look up in the Pew Bible. So, uh, it's uh, Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. You open up to the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms uh, somewhere near that. Keep going to the right, right of Psalms. You hit Proverbs, go one more book, you get to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll be looking at verse starting in verse 9. Uh, when, I, when I decided to preach on this verse, and I, uh, on this chapter, this section, and I read over it, the first thing that came to mind was one of my favorite movies, um, Gladiator. And it, uh, it, <laughs> you're like, what in the world does that have to do with Ecclesiastes? And, and it's been a favorite movie of mine for a long time. And, uh, you know, when, when it came out, I guess, 10 or so years ago, and I was younger, uh, you know, I was the, the manly violence kind of, or that appealed to me. But as I got to know the movie a little bit more, there's, there's a lot that we as Christians can relate to with that movie. And it is, it is um, unnecessarily violent at times, so I absolutely cannot recommend it. Um, for any, any person, really. But, uh, <laughs> but that's actually not true after what I'm about to say. But, so one of, the, one of the great things about the movie is, if you're not familiar with it, it is, it's set in second century Rome, and the, there's this uh, Roman general, Maximus, 
and he's betrayed uh, by the, the new emperor who's plotting to take over. And, and his wife and child were threatened. And so after he's betrayed, there's this poignant scene where he is rushing to, he's in Germania um, fighting war there, expanding the Roman kingdom. And he, he rushes back to, he escapes um, his execution, rushes back to his uh, ranch in Spain to try to protect his wife and child. And he gets there, and his wife and child are brutally murdered. Um, and so the rest of the movie, we see him longing for home. He's longing for that place with his wife and child. He's longing to return to that, to that beautiful home that he has with his family. And, it, and, it, and he's longing for the afterlife. Um, and it's much different than the Christian afterlife. But, but we can relate to that idea that this isn't our home. This isn't the place that we were made for. It's not... It's not the way it should be, and, but he, he still has work to do. Um, he has to overthrow this evil emperor, um, uh, and he still has work to do, but the whole time he's longing to return to his home. There's this one, when I, when I read the, the passage again in preparation, there was one line that, uh, that made me think about it, and, and at the beginning of the movie, as Maximus is about to lead his army against uh, the, the German horde or something like that. He says, what we do in life echoes for eternity. And, and I think there's some real truth there as well. And, and that is actually um, takes us to the first point. And, I, and I've actually got some structure for you. So if you're one of those people that takes notes and likes to have a three-point sermon, I've got it. The first, the first point is what we do matters. What we do in our lives, how we live, it matters. And the second point, we will look at and see what God does. And then lastly, we'll look and see how it all works out. If you're, if you're following along and you're looking in the bulletin, you see the title for my sermon is Why Wait? Um, it has nothing to do with um, refraining from premarital sex. And if you weren't paying attention, I just said sex. This has nothing to do with, well, actually it might have a little bit to do with that, but that's not one of the points I'm going to make. But the, it is a question, why, why wait on God? Um, and that's, that's kind of the main idea. Why, why, why should we wait? Why should we listen to what God has to say in his word? Why should we pay attention, consider what he calls us to? First point, what we do matters. Second, how, what God does. Lastly, how it works out. I'm not going to read the whole passage at once. We're going to look at a few verses, talk about them, and then move on. So let's first look at verses 9 and 10, and then also verses 12 and 13. So if you haven't already opened up, opened up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll come back to verse 11, verse 9 and 10. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Down to verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, this is your word. You promised to teach us through it. Come, Holy Spirit, open hearts and minds. Father, show us more of your great love for us. And it's all in our Savior's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're not familiar with Ecclesiastes, it's written by Solomon. And so this was written around 1000 AD. Solomon was the last of the three kings last of the three kings over a unified Israel. And, so, and what Solomon did is, he, this is kind of his, his treaty on what is life about, what, what makes sense. Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books, and Solomon is known for his wisdom, and he's trying to figure out, like many of us, is like, what is this all about? How do I make sense of life in this world? And one of the ways that Solomon goes about that is he tries everything. And I mean everything. And he had unlimited resources to do so. And so he, he lost himself in food. He lost himself in drink. He lost himself in sex. He lost himself in work. And he tried to find satisfaction in those things. And so what comes out of this is what Solomon discovered as he was trying to find satisfaction in everything and anything that the world had to offer. And when we look and see the answer that he came up with, um, we'll, we'll also notice that he doesn't lose sight, even though he was someone who had unlimited resources, he doesn't lose sight of what it was like for those of us who do not have unlimited resources. And so we come to this, verse 9, look with me again. What gain has the worker from his toil. And so it's asking the question, how do I make sense of my life, my job, my work? What's the point? Why should I? What is there to gain from this work that I'm doing? It goes on, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Down to verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so really, it's pretty straightforward. It's the reason why that you work, the reason for your life, is to enjoy God's good gifts, to, to enjoy the good things of this world, to do good. So, there you go, let's pray. It does raise some questions, though, I think, and um, it raised some questions. To illustrate that, I'll tell you a story. Um, I, uh, I'm not feeling it too bad right now, but if I took my boot off here, my ankle's a little bit swollen. I told a couple people yesterday at the, uh, the Amos Festival that uh, they asked me why I had my leg propped up with ice on it, and I said, you'll have to wait till tomorrow, because uh, I'll tell everybody then. And then someone said, you twisted your ankle just for a sermon illustration? <laughs> I was like, I did. I am committed to my craft. Uh, uh, no, I did not, but hey, it just seems to work out like that. A happy coincidence. Uh, so um, last weekend, I was up at Floyd Festival. Are any of you familiar with that? It's a, a bluegrass music festival, and really, I think it's extended beyond just bluegrass, kind of acoustic rock uh, kind of vibe, and it's the first time that I've ever done anything like this. It's a four-day music festival, and there's something like 25 different bands, 
and I have five different stages, and there's thousands of people there camping. And if you've never done anything like this, it, it, my only reference for this is Woodstock, which is, if you're not familiar, that's probably kind of the vibe. But this is clearly the 21st century version because there are, I mean, yes, the majority of the people, thousands of people are camping, but there's every type of amenity that you could wish for. I mean, there are hundreds of vendors selling excellent food. Um, there's, you know, tons of different, several different breweries, a couple different wineries uh, selling their wares. Um, I mean, really, there's a want for nothing. I mean, you, yeah, you slept in a tent, but you could eat excellent food that you didn't have to prepare. So it's, it's, it's not exactly that same type of... Uh, I don't know, out in the wilderness camping Woodstock that I imagine Woodstock was like. But um, one of the things that the, the organizers for Floyd Fest did was they brought in a trapeze act. And, and this was like a, a real deal, full-on trapeze troupe when they set up this uh, significant trapeze apparatus with a 50-foot platform and three different swings and the giant net underneath of it. And the, the trapeze troupe was offering a, uh, a free class, a free two-hour class for anyone who wanted to live out their circus fantasies. <laughs> As you can see how I, where I'm going with this in terms of injuring my ankle. Um, I was telling my friend Jack, a uh, pastor down in Norfolk, he'll preach in here in a couple weeks, is that right? I was telling my friend Jack this story, and, he, and as soon as I said there was a trapeze act, he's like, oh, you had to do it, didn't you? <laughs> I absolutely did. So I signed up for the class, and uh, it turns out, like, I was, I mean, I'm not a small guy, um, and, and I, but I was the largest guy who signed up for this class. Most of it, it was like me and 12-year-old girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were probably some 18-year-old girls, but anyway, it was, so I don't think they were used to having someone my size show up to take the trapeze class. But the guys who were doing it, I mean, there were guys much bigger buffer than, than me doing, you know, when I get up there for the practice the, on the, the low swing, and you know, I, I got up there to do it, and the guy, he's teasing me. He's like, all right, let's see what you can do, old man. Like, I wasn't flexible enough to do it. Um, I was, I got up there, and what they neglected to tell me after, um, when you drop into the net, is that you want to bounce twice. So if you ever take a trapeze class, when you drop into the net, you want to bounce twice, um, because if you just bounce once, when you come back down to the net, you'll still have so much force that it's difficult to stand. And so uh, after doing my first backflip into the net, I... Um, I tried to stand up after once, and I rolled my ankle. So, uh, and so I ended up limping around the rest of the festival, which was fine. Um, I mean, I, they did have the beer tent, so. Uh, <laughs> no, I went and got an ice pack, and but that night uh, I was. It was it was pretty. It was a beautiful scene, and I'm, I had just eaten this really fantastic pizza that was cooked in a wood-burning oven that one of the um, vendors had brought in. And not too long before that, I'd had a, uh, a couple of really fantastic craft beers. Um, 
And I was sitting there enjoying this beautiful night at a picnic table, and I was watching the trapeze act, and the, uh, they, well, they told me, I did actually do everything. I did the backflip, I did the handoff. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly coordinated, so I was able to uh, do everything they asked me. They told me I couldn't be in the show because I was too big. I found out later that it was because of the costumes. They didn't have costumes big enough for guests like that. And when I saw the, the um, teal and bright orange and red leotards that they were wearing, I said, well, I'm glad I didn't get to be in. <laughs> At least that's what I told myself, so I could feel better. Um, so I was sitting there watching the trapeze act, and I you know, just had some, a couple of great beers and um, wonderful pizza. It was a beautiful night. And I started looking around, and then off to, off to my right, there were some guys juggling these eternally illuminated balls, and they had like five going. And it was, it was really pretty cool looking. And then there's another guy who was juggling with the, the sticks on a string. Have you ever seen that? It's like these spools. Um, and, and he would he'd have one going back and forth, and he'd throw it up in the air, and he'd catch the other one that, uh, that had been in the air, and he'd go back and forth. And I'm looking around at all the crowd and all the people, and I think, how absurd is it to learn how to juggle spool things with sticks? Like, how absurd to spit, like how much time did it take this guy to learn how to do this, you know, juggling this, I mean, I, I can juggle a little bit, you know, I can't do five, like, you know, I drop three after two or three go around, but like how much time to, to learn this? And I started looking around at the rest of the scene, I was like, this, this is, this whole thing, it's a little bit absurd. I mean, couldn't we be using our time better? I couldn't, I mean, isn't there a better way that we could be spending our, our resources? Uh, and, and the whole event, it started to feel a little bit like, why, why am I spending my resources for this? And then I remembered this passage. Uh, and so let's look back at it again. Verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You know, and of course, we can take these gifts, good food, good drink, the time to learn how to juggle, we could take these good gifts and we can abuse them. And we can use them inappropriately, and we can use them to escape. But the abuse of a good gift doesn't negate the right use of that gift. Or, or we can deny ourselves these good gifts because we're good, pious Christians and say that it doesn't really have a place in our life because there's so much more good that we could be doing. But when we do that, then we're denying these good gifts that God has given us. He's given us these good gifts, and what they do, these good gifts, they point to the character of our God. They point to a character of God who wants to lavish good gifts on His children, who wants you to have enjoyment, who wants you to enjoy the fruits of your labor. 
He wants you to take time to enjoy these things. I was talking with some friends at work about this, and, and I, you know, I was talking with them because I was preparing for this, this sermon. I was like, well, what about the people who don't have those resources? And as we talk through it some more, resources to enjoy something like Floyd Press, talk through it some more. It doesn't matter what society you go in. It doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter what resources. You will always find people who will take the time to enjoy the gifts that God has given them, to enjoy the gifts of each other. You'll find people, no matter the difficulties of their circumstances, enjoying God's gifts to us. But it does offer more questions. And this comes to our second point. Our second point of what God does. Because we know that life is not just about enjoying God's good gifts. We know that there's a lot of pain and difficulty that we face daily. That throughout different parts of our lives that we have some very tough times. So we know that there's more to life. There's more than just enjoying God's good gifts. So let's look at verse 14 and 15. Read with me. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And what this is saying is that God is God, and you're not. What this is saying is that God is sovereign and control over everything. You know, this is wisdom literature. This fits into the the category in the Old Testament, the five books of wisdom. And this this verse in particular, commentators compare to the message of Job. And and that might seem strange on first glance, because if you're familiar with Job, and, and many people are, Christian or not, if you're familiar with Job, we know that that's just about tragedy after tragedy that this man faces. In this passage, we just read about enjoying God's good gifts, but we're now compared to the tragedy of of Job. And the reason for that, the reason that makes this comparison is is because what what, uh, Solomon is saying here is that God is God. He is sovereign over all things. That you're not God. if, if God is sovereign over all things, yes, He's sovereign over those good gifts that He gives us, but if He's sovereign over all things, if He's in control over everything, then that means He's in control of the difficulties in your life, the pain, the horror. That means that He's control of all of that. And He doesn't create those things. He does allow them. And then he orders them and shapes them to serve his purpose. But God has control over all of these things. And that's a fine theological point, and it's, one, it's a good one to consider and to wrestle with. But what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and me? How do we make sense of this? How do we apply this idea that whatever God does endures forever? Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. What has God allowed in your life? What has God allowed to happen to you? 
What happened to you when you were a child? What happened to you when you were a teenager? What mistakes did you make in your 20s? What are the consequences of sin in your life today? Sin that you committed. Sin that was committed against you. You say, wait, Rob, we were just talking about good gifts. We were talking about enjoying life. Why now are you taking us to these dark places? Well, you you know that good gifts are enjoyed for their goodness even more so in light of the difficulties of life. You know that a light shines brighter in the darkness. You know that, that joy is more joyful, more glorious after sorrow. We know those things to be true. And so, unless, unless, you, embrace, unless you embrace the difficulties of your life, unless you embrace the troubles that you have faced, then the good gifts of God are not going to be as good as they could be. They're not going to be as joyful as they could be. And and, unless you embrace those troubles, those horrors, those sins, yours, the ones committed against you, then it will lead you to abuse these good gifts. And you will use those good gifts to escape the pain of those those troubles. Unless you embrace these good gifts, it, it could lead you to deny the right use of these good gifts. Because you can't make sense of how can there be good gifts from God if there's also these. And so I'm just going to live a pious, morose, depressed Christian life. Because I can't put together the difficulties of my life with the joys and goodness of our lives. So you have to embrace the difficulties of the life. Do you hear the word that I use there? Embrace. How can you do that? How can you embrace the horrors of sin? How can you wrap your arms and hold close the pains that you've had to face. You can't. You can't do it. If you try, it'll destroy you. Have you gotten close enough? Have you gotten close enough to the sin in your life, the sin in those that are close to you, the sins that have been committed against those people that you love? Have you gotten close enough to embrace them and feel that pain? You can't get too close. I've had my share of tragedy in my life. Some people, some people will say I've had more than my share. Most of my life I've tried to escape. I've used God's good gifts to escape the pains and difficulties of how I was sinned against and how I have sinned in response. But lately... Over the past several years, I've been forced to embrace them. I've been forced to embrace 
the struggles of my childhood, the struggles of recent years. I've been forced to embrace death, divorce, and disease, and it, it nearly destroyed me. It led me to a place of despair. And that is the only thing that can happen if we embrace fully this sinful, broken world like I'm suggesting that we should. And it would have destroyed me if it weren't for the truths of this verse, of this passage. Let's look again at verse 15. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. That's a confusing verse, and commentators are confused by it. It's difficult to make sense of. One, one commentator, he, um, he translates it like this. God seeks out the pursued. What, what has driven you away from God? What's driven you away from God's goodness and His love? Is it the abuse that you face? Is it your actions that label you as an abuser? Is it the judgment that you've received from those who call themselves Christians? Is it the hypocrisy of those who call themselves Christians? What's driven you from God? Is it the sin of others? Is it your own sin? The commentator changes the word driven to pursued. You know that a famous verse in Psalm 23? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's been translated that way in English since the 15th century, and so no translate, no version is going to change it as they should. Because we're familiar with that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But the Hebrew says is, Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Through some of the recent tragedies, difficulties in my life, someone said to me, I'm sure it doesn't feel like goodness and mercy is following very closely. Which is a good sentiment. I mean, it, it, you know, and he, he meant that as an encouragement. But then as I remembered back to my, my Hebrew studies, and I remember that it's surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. God pursues us. Have you been driven away? God pursues you. Have you run away? He's pursuing you. Are you lost? He is running after you. Have you strayed? He is pursuing you. Are you injured? Weak? Sick? God continues to pursue. He always pursues. He always runs after us. He always seeks after us. He never leaves. Are you weak? Sick? Injured? Strayed? Lost? 
No? Why are you here? Why are you here this morning if you don't find yourself in that category? The lost, the strayed, the injured, the sick, the weak. What is it that you've come here for? You know, Christians are the ones who forget that they're lost, that they're weak, strayed, injured, sick. If you're not a Christian this morning, we're honored that you're here. You've made this a part of your spiritual journey. If you're not a Christian this morning, you probably have a good sense of what it means to be lost, weak, strayed, injured, sick. Part of your spiritual journey is you're, you're recognizing the angst in your soul that says something isn't right. I need something. So Christian, why have you forgotten what you need? Okay, that's lots of heavy stuff. Let's take a break for a second. Did you see the movie Tangled? That Disney um, retelling of the uh, Rapunzel fairy tale? I'm not super familiar, familiar with exactly how the fairy tale goes, but in, in Disney's retelling of this version, uh, the, the king and queen can't conceive, they can't have a child, and so they search throughout the kingdom for this rumored magical plant that will allow this to happen, and they find it, and there was only one of them, and, and so they were able to conceive, and they have this daughter, Rapunzel. Um, and so Rapunzel you know, has this magical hair, uh, but the, the evil witch who was using that plant to prolong her unnatural life um, no longer had that plant uh, because the king and queen got it so they could have Rapunzel. And so she breaks in and thinking that she can extend her, her um, unnatural life with Rapunzel's hair, cuts a piece off and finds out that the magic dies when she cuts Rapunzel's hair. And so she steals Rapunzel. She takes Rapunzel. And, and you, you know the story from there, locks her in a tower, 75 feet tall or whatever, the only way in is through climbing up Rapunzel's hair. And so in, in the Disney retelling, you know, it's, uh, it's 18 years. Um, there's this 18-year gap between when the king and queen lost their daughter and, and when we come back to the story. What would you do? I can't get away from the heavy, I'm sorry. What would you do? Your daughter's taken from you in infancy. Would you move on? One year later? Five years later? No sign of your daughter? It, it, it sounds like wisdom. You have to move on, right? You can't sit in the pain and loss like that. You've got to move on with life. That's not what Rapunzel's parents did. They did something far more beautiful. Every year on Rapunzel's birthday, the whole kingdom celebrated. They celebrated Rapunzel's birth, and they longed for her return. And they lit these lanterns. I don't know if you've seen them there. They, uh, there's a little um, thing you light inside the lantern. And, and of course, the, uh, the fire heats up the air inside, and so it, it lifts. And they, they lit hundreds 
of these lanterns every, every, every year on Rapunzel's birthday. And, and they, didn't, they didn't shy away from remembering their daughter. In fact, the movie keeps going back to this gorgeous mosaic of the king and queen and their daughter together. And so they, they didn't run away from the pain. In fact, they, they longed for the restoration of their family. They longed for Rapunzel's return. And they longed for it in this beautiful way. But that's Disney. And, and, and even though original fairy tales don't always end up with a nice Hollywood Disney ending, that one did. But you and I aren't living in a fairy tale. And we aren't promised the same type of fairy tale Hollywood Disney ending. We're promised something far, far better. Last point. How does it all work out? Let's go to verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So God has put eternity in our hearts, and we know that to be true, because whenever we pursue any of God's good gifts for satisfaction, we find that they no longer satisfy. We find that the stuff of this world will not satisfy. We, that points to eternity. That points to eternity that is inside of us, because when we make something, when we take a good thing and we make it into um, an ultimate thing, it no longer satisfies. Too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing. That points to our, our God. It points to a God who has put that eternity in our hearts. But at the same time, at the same time, he says, we can't know from end to end. And so we're not going to know the why. I don't, I don't know all the reasons why my dad died when I was 18. I don't know all the why of the other things that I've suffered in my life. I'm not promised to know the why. But what I am promised, what I am promised right here, is that he will make everything beautiful. He will make everything beautiful in its time. How? How is he going to do that? How is he going to make everything beautiful? Well, remember I said that you cannot enjoy God's good gifts unless you embrace the pains and sorrows of your life. And I said you can't do that because it will destroy you. Jesus embraced that for you. Jesus wrapped his arms around the pains in your life. He wrapped his arms and brought to his chest the evils that you have suffered, both how you have been sinned against and how you have sinned. He wrapped his arms around it, not just yours, not just mine, but everyone's. He wrapped his arms around it, he embraced it, held it close, and it did destroy him. And Jesus was destroyed so that you wouldn't have to be. 
so that you could know real life. So that you could know life in these good gifts. This food, this drink. Seemingly insignificant. But not so. Not so, because Jesus gave Himself so that we could enjoy God's good gifts in this life. He embraced it all. He embraced the horrors of our past. He embraced the struggles of our today. And he embraced all that's to come. Any parents ever had a child um, who had night terrors? You know what night terrors are? A young child will wake up screaming, not really fully awake even, just terrified. My daughter used to have night terrors, three, four years old. And as soon as I heard her cry out, I, I, my eyes popped open. I rushed into her room. And, and what did I do when I rushed into her in room? Did I reason with her? Did I say, Abby, you know that there's nothing wrong. You're fine. You're in your bed. You're safe at your home. There's nothing to worry about. You can stop crying now. Oh, of course I didn't. I didn't, I didn't reason with my three-year-old daughter who's waking up screaming. Did I, did I scold her? Did I go into her room? I was like, Abigail, stop it. Stop crying. What you're doing is wrong. You need to stop it. No, of course not. I ran into her room. I scooped her in my arms. And I hold her close. And I say, I've got you. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. I'm holding you close. It's going to be okay. Did she stop crying? No. She didn't. She's not awake. She doesn't know what's going on. It didn't stop me from holding her, from holding her close. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what terrors that you're dealing with. I don't know what terrors that you are, have recalled even this morning as I'm preaching. But God does the same for you. He rushes in and He holds you close. And He says, I've got you. And he doesn't scold you. And he doesn't say, stop it. He doesn't try to reason with you. He says, I've got you. Keep crying. I can hold on to you. Let's pray together. Father, we long for your embrace. Remind us that we've got it. Remind us that you're right here. Jesus, thank you for embracing my sin. Thank you for embracing the sin of my friends here this morning. Thank you for embracing for how they've been sinned against. Thank you for dying so that we can know real life. Come, Holy Spirit, show us life. 
when we sit down to eat later, when, when we enjoy your good gifts later, remind us of this life that you have given us. You've given us real good gifts, and we can find hope through them because of our Savior Jesus, because of our Father who loves us, because of the Holy Spirit who is alive and at work in us. And it's in your name we pray, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.